disclaimer. This podcast features explicit language and discussions sexual in nature. It may contain subjects uncomfortable to some. Please understand that the opinions shared on this podcast are not a representation of any organization or employer the host may be a part of. Do you get asked if you're gay a lot because of the hat? At that same park that we went to mm-hmm. for kayaking, I actually got like kind of hit on. Oh. I got like man called. <laughs> like, oh, you mean cat called? For, for men? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, wolf called? I don't know what the male <laughs> <term> is for that. <laughs> so, what's your name again? Beard Man. So, Beard Man. What's up? What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about, you know, did talking about sex ruin William Marston's career or more so how he went about it? So when you mean did sex ruin his career, like did him getting involved with Olive and Sadie or like did him getting involved with BDSM or both? So one thing when I was doing the research, people continuously went back on and even um, Hoover kind of notated in official FBI reports was that his research was very one-sided or influenced by his own personal preferences. So he wasn't what we would call today doing the scientific method. He kind of started with, hey, I'm into like BDSM. How do I incorporate that into my research? How do I study the things that I like? Right. But did he do it in an appropriate way? Because like, for instance, famous psychologist Freud, he's very famous about talking about sex and he was highly regarded. Mm -hmm. William Marston does research on sex and kind of goes into sex and he... It's does not, not a, have, yeah, he doesn't have the same mm-hmm. success. is not the same uh, outcome. What else are we talking about? We're going to talk about William Marston going to work for Universal Studios and working on a few movies. He went from educator to screenwriter. Yes. Okay. And really kind of just anything he could do. So he did write a couple of fictional books during that time period. He, he tries to sell his lie detector. We kind of go over him losing a very major lie detector fight. Over, like, the patent? Uh, just kind of trying to market it, I believe. Because most people, I guess, didn't believe in it at the time. And a lot of people still don't believe in it today. His marketing approach was unsuccessful, whereas somebody else kind of comes in and has the correct approach. Mm. Got it. Okay. Depending on how much time we have today, we're going to talk about living life as a lie. <gasps> oh, my God. You know, that's really relatable because, like. You, know, you live your life as a lie? No, pre-transition. Uh, I, mean, I was definitely. <laughs> I was trying to be honest. It's but okay. It was, it you was can me being. Please be yourself now. It's safe. <laughs> I am myself now. That's Come obvious. out. Come, okay. come out here. Come out come to out. play. Let's, let's see the real. Jenny Bangs. Yeah, come, come out of the closet. Woo, I'm crazy. You'd tell us if you thought we were crazy, right? No. No? I think that's like the first rule 
when you think someone's crazy is you do not mention the fact that they're crazy. Yeah, you just give them treats and you and you be very nice to them and kind. Wait a yeah. second. You yeah. just wait a second. Come to the studio every Sunday and just record with them. And just record with them and not lose your mind. <laughs> so William Marston. William Marston. William, William Marston. Marston. We left off last time. Where where we le- we were getting into the good like the stuff that was relating to the movie. We talked yes. about like college spankings. Last yes. we Before. spoke, it was about Sadie being introduced into the relationship, and then Jay talked with me and you a little bit about people coming into our relationship. Yeah, that's true. That's so right. yes, it didn't sound like William introduced uh olive the most ethical way into their relationship yeah yeah i agree with that statement wholeheartedly it was kind of like yeah so this is olive and she's staying so you better you better better be okay with it yeah you better get behind it or you know it's over and also kind of going back to a previous episode when I mentioned that William kind of forced Sadie to change her first name, you kind of made a comment of like, well, there could have been like a lot of reasons for that. And I was like, oh, we'll just wait. Like, yeah. So now. (gasps) So this is a callback. This is a callback. Oh my God. Even though Sadie liked her name, William convinced her to change her name to Betty Marston. So we don't know the purpose of that. There may be a fundamental reason that we just don't know because time. Correct. Yeah. So I just thought it was like a little odd. Yeah. Well, there might be more to that. It might not be that he pushed for that. So we're going to revisit that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now that you know a little bit more about how he handles some kind of situations, what are your thoughts now? Mm. Well, what do you mean as far as like, him as a person as a whole or like how he handles relation his relationship just more so so i get a sense that yes he he kind of falls into like submissive side of Mm -hmm. kinky bdsm stuff however there are times where he does appear to be very controlling yeah well i mean yeah he kind of selfishly imposed all of into the relationship, it seems. And then yeah. with the changing, uh, making Sadie change her name. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of confusing. Maybe he's more of like a switch role than he... Because, like, maybe there wasn't, like, a, a thing about, like, being switch. You're either sub or you're dominant, you know? So even today, I think there's a mindset of you either have to be, like, a dom or a sub. Can't be a switch. But there's also a lot of different relationship styles within, like, BDSM or, like, the kinky mm-hmm. sphere of things. The multiverse of things. The multiverse of kink? Yes. What? Whoa. Because you can have a DS relationship. You can have an MS relationship. You can have a... There's a multiverse? Yeah. I'm going to say that one more time. Multiverse of kink. And that's now copyrighted. No, I'm kidding. There's a multiverse? It's not. It's yeah, and you can even have a FLR relationship, which was female-led relationship. Ah, which necessarily has nothing to do with BDSM. 
Or is ours a female-led relationship? Yeah, <laughs> I would assume so, yeah. Hmm. Even though we're switching the roles of who we would split, we're both... Yeah, I guess our boyfriend does kind of go with whatever no, we decide. No, when he's, when he's here, it's definitely uh, a shared thing. We don't, we don't run things. When but he likes being told to do. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And yeah, there's he does. different <laughs> yeah, he does. there's different levels to all of those relationship styles. And I actually kinda want to do an episode about that, breaking that down further one time, but I digress. Actually, something I do want to bring up is what happened in our Discord. Oh. We so have a Discord? We do have a Discord. What? You can go ahead and join. Join while you us. have the chance. Yes. So someone brought up believe it was the second episode of William Marston, how we talked about um, Ethel and Margaret Sanger. Yes, I did look back and figure out how to pronounce her name. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we came across very critical on Sanger's view or decision on actually taking the step to remove Ethel from the women's rights fight. Yeah. And, you know, going back and kind of thinking about it, me personally, as an only child, I always wanted to have a sibling. I I think if I was in the same position, and this is easy for me to say because, yeah. you know, I'm totally not in that situation. But, you know, if I had a sibling who was suffering, who had potentially, you know, they could die in prison, essentially. And it was like, hey, you know, if you do this one little thing, we'll let her out. Everything would be fine. I think I would do it. I do. I think it's hard because we're looking back at history and we know what happens going forward. Sanger goes on to be one of the most influential women's rights activists, period. And Ethel was removed from kind of that fight. I So there's that one aspect. I will say also from my understanding of kind of looking into a few things, I do feel like Ethel was willing to do whatever it took for women's rights. So for instance, dying in prison, like if, if she was going to become a martyr, so be it. And Margaret was like very in charge of political movements. I think she was a little bit more political. I think she realized, hey, Yes, I'm willing to do tying yourself against the fence. Yeah, for example, with other women's uh, women, wow, tying <laughs> themselves up with chains and stuff in front of the White House as a protest movement, for example, yeah, very political. And I think she realized, like, hey, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. However, if I die, you know, I can't continue fighting. So mm-hmm. she was a little bit more political and wanting to stay around to see the fight out. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I th- so I do have a sister, and we're so this is coming from someone that's not close to their sibling. I think it depends on their relationship as far as like whether or not Margaret was going to take Ethel out, because if they had an estranged relationship and they barely talked. Margaret might be like, well, she's fighting for a cause. This is huge. She's fighting for the same cause that I am. I'm going to leave her there, even though it might be the risk of her life. Mm-hmm. If they're close, 
super close. It doesn't matter how how passionate they are about the fight. They care more about each other and the well-being of each other than the fight. The fear of losing a loved yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. And I think that very much has to do with how you're, one, brought up with your family, closeness of your family, and then, two, how close you are with that sibling later on when you're an adult. Because, you know, some siblings stay close forever. Yeah. Some stay close when they're kids, you know, go their own ways when they're adults. Um, some are never close. Some never know each other. So that's just my personal opinion from where I'm at with my sister. You know, And I will say I was in a situation a few years ago where a friend of mine, she told me some pretty dark stuff. I know I knew that she was struggling with some mental health things. I was working with her on those fronts. She told me a few things like, "Hey, I'm going to tell I'm going to tell you, but you have to promise not to tell anyone." And then when I heard it, I literally told her, "I'm look, I'm sorry. You're probably going to hate me for this, but at least you'll be around to hate me for the rest of your life, but I am contacting your your therapist." Yeah. And I did like contact her therapist and report her. And no, she didn't end up. She, she hated, I think she hated me in the moment, but like we're fine today. But yeah. in that split decision, I was like, hey, <laughs> I'd rather you be around and hate me rather than being dead. Yeah. That's so, a hard decision to make. And yeah. you want to do the right thing and keeping the person you love around is always going to outweigh those other choices, I think. Yeah. All right, so jumping into this week's episode. When William Marston was doing the research for his book, Emotions of Normal People, how did he do that research? I don't know. He actually basically had what I would consider sex parties. He held sex parties to conduct research. Yes, and there are 95 pages of typed notes of him describing these sex parties in his defense he didn't really have google he was doing research True. which does you know you can find a lot of porn on google is he wearing a lab coat while doing this research in the sex party what do you I mean by so. lab coat do you mean like a condom <laughs> no <laughs> well is he wearing a lab coat and a condom while doing this research Imagine lying to women about your lab coat. Hmm. I just imagine like showing up for, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go to this famous psychologist for some research that he's doing. And then it's like, oh, this is a sex party. <laughs> oh, this is a sex party. Pulls out his beaker set. <laughs> sex okay. is Fun. Just, I, uh, now that I'm thinking about the research with sex parties, I'm literally thinking about like guys in lab coats fucking people and like having a clipboard and taking notes while doing so. Learning is and, fun. And when they when they come, they're just like, oh, interesting. They mark it down on their clipboard. <laughs> Learning is fun. Learning is fun. And sexy. And sexy. And sexy. So during these sex parties, he had what he described love leaders, love mis leaders, mistresses, mm. and love girls. Those that that was the terminology that he used. Uh, so love girls were no clothes at any time, kind of 
if we're jumping into like a BDSM porno, this would be a sex slave from my gathering. A love girl? A, a love girl. girl. In his in his notes. He wrote love girl. <laughs> it's just a girl that's always naked. Okay. Yep. And then what are the other two? Uh, so you have love leaders and mistresses. What's the difference? So the difference, I was very unclear about. Um, maybe I got like just too preoccupied with with reading the research, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, <laughs> no. So love leaders or mistresses would use their bodies to make men submit to them, and then they were kind of like used to keep the passion going during sex. Now, yeah, and what's also interesting is during sex, males were supposed to keep themselves in check, quote, in check. What what does he mean by that? Trying to not have an orgasm, so being denied an orgasm. Oh, edging. Yes. Oh, interesting. So it was like kind of like required, well, requirement is just like edging yourself. Yeah. Very to be part of the sex party, you have to be really good at edging. Just saying. Maybe I'll go back and do like a deep dive into the ninety-five pages of notes. But the, he has like it's public releases notes on those sex parties. Uh yeah, I'm pretty sure that we can still access them today. Are they, they're not in any of his books or anything. I mean, keep in mind, I'm reading the my main source of research for this topic came from the. Wonder Woman, A Secret History, I believe. Oh, the one that's right there. The Secret History of Wonder Woman. Yeah. So Very pretty cover. I like it. Isn't that like an original artwork from his comic? Yes. So this was my number one source of research. Uh, it, it's an amazing book. We do not cover everything that this that is in this book. She did such a great job with research. This giant section of the book is her sources. So this is her citing all of her sources of the research that she did. It's, it's insane. I mean, it's, you know, it starts on page 324 and it ends on page 434. So, wow. you know, That's over a hundred pages of just typed re- like references for her research. So this was my main source of, um, of research. This is was. Essentially, for our research, it was the the Holy Bible or the Holy Grail, if you will. Um, The emotions of normal people, I was really trying to get a sense of more so of how William kind of thought. Mm -hmm. And then the comic books, I was mainly kind of looking, you know, is there a lot of BDSM themes in his comics? But so, no, I did not go into a deep dive into the 95 pages of notes. Also... It was something that I, like, setting out to do research, I was like, oh, yeah, so I'm going to read everything that he wrote. He wrote a lot of fiction books and a lot of screenwrites, and it was it would be impossible. I would still be doing the research. I think we would have to have, like, a team of, like, five researchers just dedicated to comb through literally everything that he wrote. So well, We don't have a team of researchers yet? No, we just have Scooby. Get on it, Scooby. <laughs> Oh, he's gonna get on it. He's gonna, he's gonna get on. Oh, you can't see. There he is. Yeah, that's there. that's our research dog right there. He researches everything for us. He's very intelligent. Look at in his eyes. <laughs> but no. So 
I'm relying on the research that someone else did. Keep mm -hmm. that in mind. Um, but going back to it, so well, you can tell Jill, of course. Oh yeah, good at what the research session. Like that's an insane amount of citing. Like, yeah, and to also like put it down in your book like that. Nuts. So jumping back into it, it is said that William Marston was fascinated with, quote, captivation. And this is what we might call bondage today. Captivation. He was fascinated with captivation. So they, he, BDSM was referred to as captivation? Or what'd you it's say what was? we might consider uh, bondage today. Huh. Back then it was called captivation? That's what... We're kind of gathering. Scientifically. He's talking about captivation. We think he's talking about bondage, which yeah. carries into Wonder Woman. Okay. I'm glad it's called bondage now. Captivation doesn't sound very... Ugh. It sounds yeah. pretty captivating. Captivate me. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like when I hear the word captivation, I think of like someone like being captured. Uh, hello. Do you want to go back to my place for some captivation play? <laughs> I that does not sound sexy at all. You sure look captivating. Okay, so that's better use of the word, but uh do I just love it when you're on the floor all captivated. Sweet. <laughs> Here's some rope. Could you maybe captivate me real quick? All right, can we can we, can we go? All right. Let's uh yeah. So what what's going what's kind of going on here? So at this time period, William Marston kind of wanted free love. Olive wanted a family. Sadie wanted to have children, but she did not want to be, she didn't want having children to hinder her career. She was very focused on her career. She wasn't going to let like being a woman stop her. She did want children, but she wanted someone to kind of take care of those kids. Oh, look, Olive. And William's thinking to himself, I'm going to put babies in both of these girls. I mean, he does. I know. <laughs> yeah. Katie's like, everything I've heard about her so far, she's just freaking amazing. She's like a modern day woman from today, back then. Like, she, I mean, she's Wonder Woman. I, yeah. She should be called Modern Woman. The, I, I bet you people were so intimidated <laughs> by her. So intimidated just because she was a go getter. She was like a yeah, lot like William probably. Marston, the go getter, and got her goals and set high goals and achieved them. So Olive does go on to get her master's in 1927 in psychology at Columbia University. And later that year, William was hired as a lecturer, which is below assistant professor. Wow. So he's continuing to fall down yeah. the, the academic ladder year. Um, it is noted that Olive does want to get her PhD, but was urged to quit by her professors because she was a woman and not a lot of jobs for PhD graduates at this time. Essentially, also in this time of her life, she does kind of have to stay home to take care of Sadie's children. Mm. So, but I think it was a combination. I think it was a combination of, you know, kind of being urged not to pursue a PhD because there's, you know, there's no jobs for women with PhD. And then also kind of at home being urged to kind of stay home and take care of the children. She had multiple things pulling her away from school. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, if the people, 
if your loved ones are telling you like you shouldn't do something and then you turn to your academic advisors and they're all telling you not to do something if everyone in your life is telling you not to do something it's very rare for someone to be like no i'm gonna go and just do it Mm -hmm. so yeah so what's also key to note is sadie and olive both help write and do research for william marston's book however he listed He's the only author that's listed of the book. Um, he does dedicate his book to the five women in his life, but he is the sole author. Hmm, I don't believe that's fair, but... No. And that's, again... We can't reverse history, but I, I still feel like that's a little kind of like... Yeah. It's another sign of William Marston wasn't actually that handsome, suave guy from the movie. <laughs> I also don't know what what all goes into making a book. Like you well, said, did true, you yeah. usually list the researchers as well, no, co-authoring? They said, or They said they helped write the book. They helped write it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I got a feeling that they they should have been listed as authors. I think, I think William Marston was very kind of focused on he wanted to be successful like him. So he was going to go do a bunch of stuff and like, yeah, he might dedicate the book to them. But at the end of the day, I think he had his own personal goals and he was going to try to achieve them however he could. So maybe there's a reason he didn't list them as co-authors. I think also probably from an academic point of view, keep in mind women were not super respected. so. I think he wanted the book to be taken very seriously in the academic wor- world mm-hmm. and to do so he didn't want like oh, yeah, he didn't want it to come across like women were writing it. Yeah, because of Right. Time so period. maybe maybe that was a collective decision that they made yeah. to like hey, let's release it under one name. That's maybe. True. They maybe. were very, like both Olive and Sadie were very progressive thinkers, so that might have been a decision they made together. Like, hey, if you want your this book that means so much to you to get to everyone and not just be shut down immediately, just put your name on it. However, the book was completely ignored on the academic level. The only review that could be found was a review wrote by Olive. So. Wow. Yep. Okay. She reviewed the book that she was partook in writing? Oh, yeah. I mean... Keep in mind, I believe we covered this. Uh, Olive was writing for a magazine, and she would kind of pretend to not know William Marston, and she would interview this great psychologist. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. That's true. Conflict of interest. Kind of unethical. Yeah. But at the same time, it helps her family, so I could see her reasoning. Yeah. I mean, it's also unethical the way they were treating women, so more power to her. Now, what's kind of interesting is after finding out that his lecture position would not be renewed at Columbia, he reached out to Harvard for a position. However, he got a few mixed recommendations, one being from his former advisor and professor, Herbert Langfield. After speaking about him as a student, he went on to say, quote, so rumors have come to me from various places which I have not been able to substantiate. It therefore makes it very difficult for me to say anything further 
then when he took his degree at Harvard, he gave every promise of doing excellent work. So what's kind of interesting here is that this letter of recommendation, it's the kind of thing that you would say if somebody was gay. It's a very political, nice way of blacklisting somebody, Mm. which is exactly what happened to William. And William Marston would never, he would never work in academia ever again. Wow. Because of this guy's words. Yes. So. His mentor slash professor. Yes. And he was, he was also well known in, in the academic world, right? At the I, time? I believe so. Keep in mind, a lot has happened. William Marston has like moved around. He got accused of, he got accused of fraud. It's unknown if people knew that him and Olive were kind of having some maybe possibly relationship on the side as he was a professor. He's coming out with, you know, research and books about sex and things of that nature. So it's unclear as to why, you know, he got blacklisted, but I I believe it was kind of like a a list of things. It was you know, one thing after another. I wouldn't say it's just like one thing. Clearly, his peers kind of just looked at him as a pervert. Yes. And they thought he had no business around school. And in the academics in general. Keep in mind the book, Emotions of Normal People. It does defend some sexual perversions and also, you know, homosexuality, which is very much fr- like frowned upon at this time. So mm-hmm. I I think when he was writing the book, he thought it was going to be a, a huge hit and this was going to like kind of boost his academic career. And I think it was kind of the final nail in the coffin. I think there was a lot of nails in the coffin, but I think this was like, no. I mean, imagine if that book came out today, mm-hmm. he, like he would still have be facing backlash, I I think. Like, we're divided a lot over that. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Well, the focus, the, I feel like the fight now is more focused on trans people and against us. You know? um, like, it's changed. It's shifted from, like, just people being hateful towards gay people. Or now they're hateful towards, like, anyone of the queer community, specifically going after trans people now. It's a scary time. I think I think it still depends. I one I think it depends on what part of the world you're in. I for instance, I I believe in India it's still I don't want to say illegal, I'm not sure, but it's very much frowned upon to be gay in India. Mm-hmm. And then even in the United States, there's parts of the United States where, you know, your career could be hindered if you're found out to be gay. But I do I do think like collectively in the United States I do think it it has kind of shifted for the trans community. The fight has, but I do very much kind of still think it's dependent on where you live. Yeah, and how much Bud Light you have. How much Bud Light you get in your system? Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of the person that I do believe that like when one door closes, like another door opens. This is kind of like my way of thinking. So a silver lining here is that even though William Marston never went on to work for, you know, in the academic realm, 
I mean, he does become super successful in doing what he likes to do. So, yeah. And he gets to keep calling himself doctor. Yeah. That's sure. very true. I guess that's pretty cool. That was kind of actually represented in the movie, like him trying to go on with his academic career and be successful with it only to have his personal life interfere with that. And then you, you see that in the movie. You see he goes through a depressive period where he's not doing anything. They definitely illustrated um, that he was very unhappy leaving the education world behind. I wonder if yeah. that was true or not. Like, I wonder if he was as upset or as much like, you know what? I tried. It was a relief to leave that because I have way better ideas. Because when, when we're going through all this research and everything, it seems like he was always like, yeah, and ideas after ideas after ideas, always going on, you know. I, in this regard, I view him very, very much, I can kind of relate to him in this way of, you know, if I was putting my myself in his shoes, it would be very devastating for me to, like, kind of lose this fight. However, I think his mentality and also my mentality is like, okay, this did not work. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be successful. Mm. So like, hey, I hit a roadblock. Okay. Just don't give up. Yeah. It's, I'll find my way around that roadblock. Or I'm, I'm going to kind of move on. But one way or another, like I'm going to be successful. Like it's just a very like determined attitude of, you know, it's not working on the academic level. I'm going to shift over. But I, I still think I still think it was devastating for him. I guess that would be very devastating to lose that because, like, yeah. that's your life. That's your life's work. And no one's – when you lose that credit from, like, Harvard of all places, the place you got your degrees from, it's like no one's going to believe you anymore. Yeah. No I one's going to listen to you anymore. They took away his credibility yeah. for – Everything. Yeah, I, I think I can definitely relate to this because, for instance, like I was in a management position and I got very frustrated with it and I was like, you know what, like, fine, forget this. Um, I'm going to go into like an entirely different career path. I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to get a degree, degree. I'm going to become an engineer. Okay, like I've made it. And then being an engineer and being frustrated at being an engineer like okay well you know i'm gonna also on the side do a podcast and it's i think for me he's very determined but he's also shifting in a lot of different ways to try to see like where he fits in and i think like the whole academic door was like a slap in the face and i do think it hurt him keep in mind unlike the movie this is a guy that he went from being a football player very much in shape to then weighing like over 300 pounds drinking all the time smoking all the time to me that's not somebody that thinks like oh i'm very successful and like i have everything in life he's very much kind of like stressed out and he's trying to find like where he fits in that's just like my personal take on it yeah and he had a creative outlet that he was already comfortable with and he's probably looking for new ways to reach an audience because he couldn't do it in a schoolhouse anymore yeah 
But anyways. Yeah. So William Marston, at this point in his life, he goes to work at Universal Studios. So he works as a psychologist to help with movies. Um, He was denied a five-year contract. He then worked at Paramount. Mm. Um, Early Paramount. Yeah. And he even went on to uh, start his own movie studio. What? It did fail when the stock market collapsed. I don't recall what it was called. I don't really know how far he got with it. During this time frame in his life, he never had a job longer than one year. So he did a lot of shifting. And to me, this is, again, he's trying to figure out, like, where do I fit in? He's also trying to support a family. You know, I mean. A large family. Yeah, it's not your traditional, you know, just a man and a woman. He has a polyamory relationship. So. And did they have kids yet? Are we at that point? In time, oh yeah, because Olive, it was mentioned that Olive was watching Sadie. Sadie has children, and Olive has gone back to take care of children. Yeah, so he he's he's got starting to build quite a few quite. people in his household. Yeah. Quite a family. Quite yeah, a family is what he's building right now. Yeah. So covering some interesting things for Universal, he worked on the Showboat movie in 1929. I've never heard of this. However, he did work on the original 1930 movie, All Quiet on the Western Front, which was recently remade and is on Netflix today. Oh, cool. Um, they did, even though he personally did not work on this, they did use his techniques and the pressure cuffs to monitor audience reactions on movies such as the 1931 Frankenstein, the 1931 Dracula, the 1933 The Invisible Man, and the 1931 Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is very interesting because that because was his he, favorite book. Yeah. 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 So kind of cool. That must yeah. have been a pretty, like, cool moment for him. So he did write a fictional book entitled Venus with Us, A Tale of Caesar. It's set in ancient Roman times, and it has heavy BDSM themes. Uh, I actually kind of want to go back and read this book. Um, but basically, from what I saw, it's where women are kidnapped and taken to the island of Lesbos, where they would be put in heavy chains and golden collars. However, the book was not successful. I think it was ahead of its time. So, but he's already he's already building the foundation for what is going to be Wonder Woman. Yeah. Because he's already like, ooh, Lesbos is a cool island to include. Yep. You know, like he's already, the pieces are there, you know. Very much I see like him trying like, oh, let me try this. And then it doesn't work out. And he's like, okay, let me like, try this. The Wonder Woman target is okay. here and he's throwing darts and he just hasn't hit it yet, but he's trying. And I do think he's like, hey, you know what? Like I wrote this book and that was a really cool element. So let me take that and put it in the, like the Wonder Woman pot. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was really cool. Let me put that into the Wonder Woman pod. Mm-hmm. So it's slowly coming together. And I, I, I really just think he was kind of like just trying a bunch of different things. And then when something didn't work out, all right, let's move to the next thing. You know, like, but eventually at the end of the day, and this is kind of like prototype, like rapid prototype design, if you will, um, like coming out with something that didn't work. Okay, try to make it better. That didn't work. You know, 
engineering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So William Marston believed in female rule. Like, for instance, females should rule the world. And he did not try to hide this. There's um, a song about that, actually. What song? Isn't Beyonce? Oh, yeah. Women rule the world, right? Yeah. In one interview he gave, he actually said, quote, the majority of men prefer to be unhappy masters rather than happy slaves. I think that's a very powerful statement. Very interesting statement. To me, this means men are born in a position where we are supposed to control. We're supposed to dominate. We are supposed to provide for our family. There's a lot of stress that goes into that. And we rather be unhappy doing that, being the dominating figure, rather than letting our, our females take over and be kind of the guiding force in our lives. That's how, that's kind of like how I took it. Mm. I mean, that and that's not sense. what he believed. That's what he believes society believes. Um, right? So, I mean, this is what he believes that, like, his view of society. Okay. That men would rather be unhappy and rule the world rather than being happy and letting women rule the world. And that's because of the driving force behind society that like decides men have to be in charge of their household and women have to cook and clean. And with with his lifestyle background, it makes sense that he's kind of like over it. I think you think I think his like submissive side is really kind of shining here because this is something that like I very much like struggle with of like just letting go. You know, I I do get caught up in this like mentality of like okay, like I'm supposed to I'm supposed to do something. I'm supposed to like I'm supposed to provide. Like what I'm you know, me being submissive isn't normal. Like I'm supposed to like go out there and you know, do stuff. I'm supposed to take charge. And yeah, I can kind of put that up for so long and I can even have, you know, a very kind of dominating personality at work but then at the end of the day it wears me the fuck out and I get to the point where it's like you know I just kind of like <laughs> want to like come home and be like a happy little slave so so I, I think that basically what I'm trying to say is like I believe a lot of submissive men like kind of go through this of like hey this isn't normal I need to do it I need to do it I need to be dominating and it's just natural for them, I guess. And it's like, you know, however, we are happy when other people are like in charge. I mean, it's it's way less stressful to just be told what to do instead of having to figure out what to do. Yeah. So like I can understand that. It's a very like deep converse conversation of, I don't know, submissive men. Because I do, I do believe it's different. There, I think in BDSM itself, there's a lot of, you know, stigmatism that goes along with that. But if you also are a submissive male, that does take it to like a next level because you are not only are you doing something that's like viewed as very perverse, 
you're also doing something that goes against like who you're supposed to be like as a in a soci society you know you're supposed to be dominating you're supposed to be the provider and then on top of that i've actually been asked um a few times like okay so you're you're a sub so are you gay or bi and it's like no why why do i have to be gay or bi to be a sub and it was like, oh, well, don't you want someone strong and powerful to, like, take charge? And it's like, women, a woman. <laughs> women can be strong and powerful, too. Like, yeah, it's just something that, like, when I read it, I was like, yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I think That's funny that you get asked that. Yes. That was that was kind of my mom's first question when I came out as being trans. She's like, so you're like gay? And yeah, I had a similar no, but sort of, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> a little different. Yeah. It's just funny that that's people's first question when you tell them anything about yourself. That's, you know. I think it's just against the norm. Yeah. I think anything that's against the norm, people's just, they're just not. Oh, so it's gay. Yeah, they're just not knowledgeable of it. So they're trying to they're trying to make connections that aren't necessarily there. Just a little bit of Bud Light in it, not a full can, like half can. Oh, so you're submissive. So how much Bud Light do you drink? <laughs> All right. So we covered William Marston kind of ending his academic career. Also, something that happened in 1931 is that he kind of loses the fight or at least a major battle on the lie detector front. So previously on an episode we covered William Marston was trying to get his lie detector or the blood pressure cuff used in a court system where it would kind of like replace a jury or actually like help a jury decide who was telling the truth and who wasn't. However, in 1931, a person that actually replaced William at Universal Studios, ironically, beat him to a U.S. patent mm. for the lie detector. And What? Yes. And he actually was successful. So William Marston, he tried to go from the court system down. This person actually came in and decided to do the reverse. He started selling it to police stations and wanted to go from police stations up. So whereas like judges thought the technology wasn't like far enough along to be used in a courtroom, police stations were like, oh, this could be helpful. They're just using it for the data. Yeah. In in general, right? Right. Okay. But I do believe that this is a this is another heavy blow for William Marston. I mean, the two things that he has spent, if you will, the majority of his life working on, the lie detector. Um, his academic career, they're they are crumbling away. And some fool at Warner Brothers, where he used to work, was like, I'm going to do the same thing. This, this happens all the time. I mean, it's shitty, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. For instance, there was, a, there was a moment in college where a friend of mine had this really great idea for something. Uh, he wrote a college paper about it. And he wasn't shy about sharing his idea. And somebody took that idea and made a company for it. And it's it's a 
still a company today. So be careful with your ideas. Yes. Rule one, if you have an idea, be careful with who you share it with. Or have them sign like an NDA. That helps. Ironically, the person that stole his idea didn't understand the engineering behind it and tried to hire my friend to help him with the company. Mm -hmm. My friend was like, no. But he's like, no, I'm not going to help you with my idea. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually how my friend found out that he was making a company for the idea. That he had. That he had, yeah. But... Again, one door closes, another one opens up. I believe my friend is very happy with the, his current career, so it's it kind of panned out. But mm-hmm. again, if you have a good business idea, tell keep, us about it. <laughs> uh, but you should protect. You should protect your idea in any way that you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, send them to us. All right. So, what are we going to talk about next time? Next time, we're going to kind of cover like the family front. Who has what children at what time? We're going to cover the lie. So like Olive's story, it Olive is taking care of these children. Some are hers, some are not hers. So they had to develop a story, a backstory of why she's there with the family, who are all these children. The cover-up story. We're going to, we didn't get into it this episode but we're going to cover kind of living life as a lie something that i believe all three of us have kind of experience in we're going to cover the fbi getting (gasps) introduced into this story the fbi gets involved yep fbi wow and then if we have time we're going to cover kind of william marston's struggle to be a salesman kind of pushing the lie detector some defeats that he had there and finally, we're going to see the birth of comics. I'm not sure if we're going to have enough time for the next episode, but we are getting very close to the birth of comics. Birth of comics. Exciting. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in and hanging out with us. We're unnatural to some. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and yeah, join our Discord and kind of interact and mingle with us more. And... Donate us uh, stuff on Kofi so we can get more coffee. Yes. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a coffee on Kofi because we love coffee. We love coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keeps us functioning. Thanks for hanging out. Until next time, I'm Nikki Sapphire. And this is Jay Wheeler reminding you to stay kinky. It's your girl, Jenny Banks, and I'll be seeing you soon.